0: Oh, look at you go.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we are speaking with the founder and principal of Ocean Strategies. His name is Brett Veerhusen. I think I got that right on the first shot. yeah. Not bad. Brett sat down with us to talk about all of the good work that he has done. So before we get into our conversation with Brett, make sure you subscribe to aquademia wherever you get podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device as soon as it's available yep follow us on twitter at aquademia pod if you want to reach us you can do so a few
0: different ways you can send us an email podcast at globalseafood.org or visit globalseafood.org right on that homepage at the top you'll see an aquademia podcast button click on that
1: and embed it into that web page is a contact us form. Yep, it works very well. We've had a lot of people reaching out to us that way, and it's a it's a great way to get in contact with us. We try to respond to everybody as much as as quickly as we can. So if you don't hear from us right away, bear with us. We will get in contact with you. Uh, also, remember to rate and review Aquademia wherever you're listening to podcasts, especially in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I guess it's not iTunes anymore. I think it's just Apple Podcasts. Uh, but that helps us kind of get on some charts and get our show in front of more people, so we can potentially grow the community and, uh, spread the good word of responsible seafood. I think that's it. So, uh, enjoy this conversation with Brett and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. So we're sitting down today with Brett Veerhusen, who is the founder and principal of Ocean Strategies. How's it going, Brett? Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: So Ocean Strategies, we're going to get into what you guys do, but really to sum it up, are you like a consultancy company? Is that kind of how you would classify or?
2: Yeah, more or less. We're a, a public affairs firm focused specifically on seafood, fisheries and marine resources. And all of us are consultants. We're a mighty team of three. Uh, and all of us uh, uh, in Ocean Strategies are also lifelong commercial fishermen. And so we are commercial fishermen and consultants with an expertise in seafood and fisheries policy, communication, so generating media uh, or driving, you know, eyeballs to something that you're working on, uh, some traditional government affairs uh, type work. Uh, And so a lot of, uh, you know, Public communications, but then also working internally with different uh, nonprofits and for profits, uh, perhaps to kind of look internally and do some strategic planning on uh, guiding um, their organization and, and major goals that they're trying to accomplish. You got that?
1: Yeah, I did. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listeners, there's going to be some really valuable information in this episode. I guarantee it. But before we get into it, Brett, let's talk about you. More importantly, who are you, and where where'd you come from? How did you get to where you are now? Give yeah, us a, the quick little bio. A, a bio, uh, sure. Well, starting uh, in the beginning. I was born in <laughs>
2: yeah, in, uh, in back in the 9th, January seventh, nineteen eighty six was a great day. Uh, no, so I'm I'm originally from Homer, Alaska. I'm sitting here in my condo uh, in Capitol Hill, Seattle, right now. Uh, getting a nice beautiful fall day actually mm, nice. one of the bright orange colors in the trees uh and it's about going to be 65 today which is great because i'm looking at the weather going Uh-oh. uh oh you know every coming. seattleite knows yeah you see it on your phone you're going yep. oh
1: gosh yeah we're in new hampshire so we're we're right there with you you get it you get yep. it
2: yeah so so happy to um to be living here in seattle originally from from homer grew up in a commercial fishing family uh my dad, Uh, Just listed uh, the family fishing vessel uh, last week. Uh Uh, Yeah, so he's 70 years old. uh, Never missed a fishing season in uh, over 52 years. Oh, wow. Uh, The the guy is a living legend, and anybody that's uh, met Dan Verhuisen knows he's a a real-life cartoon character whom I love and is great, and I learned a lot from. So I spent all my summers uh, commercial fishing for salmon uh, out on the Alaska Peninsula in a small village called Chignik. Uh, and then also, uh, spent later, um, in kind of in high school and thereafter fishing out of uh, Dutch Harbor. So, you know, while everybody else was at soccer camp, you know, I had the joy of, you know, puking. Smell up. them like fish. Yeah. yeah, Puking <laughs> off the side of my parents' boat in the Bering sea It's pretty normal childhood really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it was just, yeah, just kind of everyday walk in the park. So, so I grew up commercial fishing and, uh, and love it. You know, absolutely loved it. but. uh when you are a salmon fisherman and you kind of live through the boom of uh, farm salmon and the impacts of the Exxon Valdez oil spill, uh, there was a lot of uh, negative repercussions on the wild salmon fishery in Alaska in particular. And so, you know, as I was fishing with my family uh, in, in um, Chignik and in Dutch Harbor, you know, it really kind of was uh, said to a lot of us younger kids, uh, who are working largely with our parents, you know, there's really not a lot of future in commercial fishing, you know, things, the, the prices were were really depleted. And so uh, when I graduated high school, you know, I really didn't see a future or want to be kind of in the commercial fishing industry. And so I went back to, uh, I went to college down at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington, uh, and and convinced myself I was going to be an investment banker and graduated in the excellent year of 2008 when everybody who uh, worked in finance was having a great year. So, you know, here I am 22 <laughs> thinking I'm, I'm hot to trot working in finance. Yeah, I got my great job. And then this like kind of company called Bear Stearns collapsed and then and then Lehman Brothers collapsed. And it was a, it was a weird time in my life. I think I went through that a quarter life yeah, crisis a soon. That was a, a tough soon. time.
1: I graduated oh, wait, in 2010, so I know like it was right. I was coming off of that that kind of recession during that time. Justin graduated in like 1905, so just... yeah. <laughs> both yeah, in I the did
0: all... th- yeah. I kept my books on a on a slate in a, you know just a <laughs> yeah. little way. No,
1: he's not that old. That was no. a joke. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but so, I, I do have to ask, and I don't know when the best time I was going to insert this question to you, but I have relatives out in Seattle, and I'm a huge. Seattle Mariners fan, I'm just curious if, if you happen to have a, a baseball passion, and if so, do you root for the team that never wins? <laughs> I have a baseball passion uh, over a really good
2: Manny's uh, when I go and enjoy a, a cheap seat. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, my, my passion is within the Sounders.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, And they're successful, for the most part. Very yeah.
2: successful. Fun, fun games, you know, still, still pretty affordable sit in the kind of the, the main fan section. So you get a little rowdy. There's a, I, I go with my best friend who's had season tickets since Drew Carey was a part owner in the Sounders. <laughs> and uh, he used to run around the field in his pink ATV riling up the crowd. And, uh, <laughs> and there's a there's a guy in, in a gorilla costume and his, I think, fiance or probably wife now in her banana costume in front of us. Uh, and so anyway, it's a really good oh time. Goodness. I, I the, like the, the Sounders.
1: The days when Drew Carey was like, Culturally important. Those were those were good days.
2: <laughs> uh, if you turn on if you turn on the television at 11 a.m., Drew Carey is still culturally important.
1: Oh God, I'll have to... Uh,
2: I think he's still. I, is he still doing Wheel of? Uh, uh, Prices price price right. right? Prices right. right.
0: That's price man, is man, is right. Right. He must. Him. I mean, Bob Barker did it until he was what 130. Yeah, something so, like that. So, so I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. almost <laughs> as old as you. Oh, I can't keep this joke going. I'm sorry. I don't know where that's coming from. You're not that
1: old. S- you're not that old. It's not, I don't know where. It's, you're just <laughs> older than me. So I, you know, you're the oldest one in this room.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess we could give our listeners the visual. I mean, my beard is getting longer and grayer, but I gray early. It's going for the going for the COVID look. Whatever. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, so,
1: so uh, Brett, what what uh, drove you from you know graduated right at the beginning of like the the Great Recession of two thousand eight, <laughs> right? And uh, so what what did you do to pivot?
2: Well, I panicked first yeah. and then pivoted, I guess. Uh, I didn't know I was pivoting, but I was uh, Yeah, I was working for a fancy finance company on top of a tall skyscraper downtown, looking at a bunch of computer screens and a completely empty floor of where there used to be colleagues. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What did I convince myself yeah. that I'm doing? And so a- anyway, fast forward, that, that, that didn't pan out. And in the meantime, my dad was like, well you know, the prices are starting to kind of turn around a little, you know, why don't you come up to Bristol Bay and I'll teach you how to run a boat. And so I'm 23 at the time, and I haven't salmon fished since I was 16. And uh, I said, sure. And uh, my cousin came, my dad was there. Uh, and we had another gentleman crew with us. We ran uh, a 32 foot Marco. Uh, I think I think sockeye was about 74 cents a pound, maybe maybe 80 cents once you did it with RSW and made some decent money at twenty three. I uh, my my family commercially fished herring as well, bait and food herring out of Dutch Harbor. And so after Bristol Bay, I tacked on another month and and fished on the Taurus, our family fishing boat, uh, and and so made it a good three and a half month season and really enjoyed it. Made some good money and kind of was reminded how much I miss commercial fishing. It's anybody that does it or especially grew up in it knows it, it's. It's a piece of you that that can't leave you know and that that smell of the salt water really is and the memories that that links back to wherever you're from and whatever that means to you are, are really strong so i kept going back uh commercial fishing in the summers and running a boat in bristol bay uh, and then got really involved uh on the campaign to protect bristol bay from the proposed pebble mine back when nobody really knew what pebble mine was everybody thought it was mining for pebbles and uh, in fact, i can't
1: say i can't say i know what that what that is you- shame shame
2: <laughs> shame from the other coast pebble is the world's largest proposed golden copper mine at the headwaters of the okay. world's of the world's largest salmon fish fishery in bristol bay everything in alaska has to be world's largest also right like it right. has to be the world's largest this and the world's largest that and it's a battle of worlds to create the biggest uh Perfuffle. So, it's... so anyway, it's uh, it, it, the proposed pebble mine is an enormous deposit of gold and copper and the uh buried underground uh, at the headwaters of the world's largest salmon fishery. And just this last year, Bristol Bay broke you know records again. I mean, the the, the fishery keeps breaking records with over sixty million sockeye salmon coming back every year. It's truly uh, incredible and uh, an American treasure. I mean, it just pumps protein, renewable protein into um, the diets of Americans and the, and diets of everybody around the world who enjoys salmon. So, I got really involved on the campaign back when I was twenty four to uh, to start building coalitions of commercial fishermen around the country uh, to lend our voices together uh, and amplify the message that Bristol Bay needed uh, protecting. And I rode that wave. You know, sadly. I'm still on the Bristol Bay campaign. I'm 35, and it's the gift that keeps giving. You know, we, we, we battled it under two Obama administrations, one Trump administration, and we're in the Biden administration. We're still talking about Bristol Bay, but I, <laughs> I, I am the most confident I have ever been uh, working on this campaign that we will finish the job. Uh, the Biden administration is committed uh, to uh, protecting Bristol Bay. Uh, they have said uh, outwardly, uh, it was, you know, brings a tear to my eye when the president, you know, names Bristol Bay by name in press conferences as he did last couple of weeks ago. It's it's pretty incredible how far we've come to think, you know, I was just trying to educate commercial fishermen in, in Chatham, you know, Massachusetts or, or down in Florida or, or up and down the, the Pacific coast and everybody kind of go, yeah, sure. That sounds like a real bad idea. Like we'll, we'll get on board with you guys. We'll try and we'll try and lend our voice and protect. And now you got uh, presidents of the United States uh, talking about protecting Bristol Bay. So yeah, m-
1: must be nice to actually hear that after all those years, after working that all those years. So
2: it's a pretty incredible campaign with a, with an incredible message, but really it's a it's a it's driven by the people of Bristol Bay, um, you know, and the Native Alaskans who've been dependent upon Bristol Bay's resources for millennia, who are who have been driving the campaign. And, and whose request to protect Bristol Bay is um, what had started this whole process, and and what commercial fishermen and others uh, in the campaign you know, support.
1: Cool. So let's go into uh, Ocean Strategies. How did that come about? From did did the Bristol Bay, your involvement in the Bristol Bay campaign really kind of spark this idea?
2: So Ocean Strategies uh, was kind of my brainchild, I guess, about five years ago. But really, it was stemming kind of before that, working on the campaign to protect Bristol Bay. I I was lucky enough to learn from some of the smartest people in uh, politics and campaigns and coalition management, people that uh, got presidents elected. And I just happened to be a sponge, frankly, in the right place, right time. Uh, And, uh, you know, so I was fishing Bristol Bay every summer, running a boat uh, as well. I bought a boat in Bristol Bay and uh, went to D.C. after uh, working on the campaign for five years, continued to work on the campaign there, and got some other political chops uh, in D.C., running a national commercial fishermen's organization, the Seafood Harvesters of America. And in that process, I started to just connect a lot of dots where uh, there was a lot of great projects that um, were out there that maybe an NGO wasn't the right organization to house it, or maybe a trade organization wasn't the right uh, organization to house it. But uh, there's a lot of needs out there to, to uh, elevate the voices, not only of fishermen, but across the seafood supply chain. That was something we successfully did in the campaign to Stop Pebble, is elevate voices, not just from those on the water, or not just those who are from the land, but everybody else who depends on that resource for their bottom line uh, or you know, for, for, for recreation, however it is important. And really finding ways to communicate uh, that message to the people who could um, deliver uh, that message as well to decision makers. And so, again, I, I learned from, from, from some of the best and brightest. And after spending time in DC, I, I realized that there is not a go to firm in the country that really specializes and has the expertise in uh, fisheries and seafood and, and marine resources. And so, uh, after leaving DC, I came back to Seattle. Uh, close to five years ago uh, and started to take on some clients with Ocean Strategies and it's grown ever since. We we, we have had over 20 clients. Um, uh, we have, like I said, a mighty team of three now and some other uh, consultants who work for us part-time and all of us are, uh, who are, are uh, kind of working full-time as consultants with Ocean Strategies are also lifelong commercial fishermen. So we bring that boots-on-the-deck experience to the halls of Congress.
1: That, I, mean, I imagine that makes a big difference when you're doing lobbying and stuff to have that on your resume.
2: It does. I, I will say that um, generally we don't do a lot of lobbying. Um, oh, no. you know, I, think, I think people will assume that you are working in policy and uh, you're, you're, you're a lobbyist. Um, you know, a lot of uh, work that we do and, and almost all work that we do is really around education. Uh, oh, okay. uh, you know, educating about how policy impacts a business. Uh, educating on um, why certain provisions could uh, impact fishery management. Um, so, so though though communicating uh, important uh, issues to potentially Congress is important, it's really a very small subset of of what we do. Um, we we do a variety of things around uh, you know working on improving economic numbers for. Uh, fishery data to NOAA, which I think instantly I probably made all your listeners fall asleep. (laughs) But, (laughs) but let me, let me walk back. We've all lived through COVID and we're still in it. Uh, people started cooking a lot at home, uh, and people started to get very comfortable cooking at home and they got very bored cooking what they knew. They got very Mm -hmm. bored cooking with, with chicken and beef. And a lot of us in the, in, in the seafood industry know this story that seafood sales and retail have grown by 30% in COVID. Oh yeah. It was and, such
1: a huge spike, unexpected. I was not ready for that. When we heard those numbers, it was like crazy, like mind-blowing.
2: Huge, huge. Well, we want to make sure that that positive economic story is being told and being captured in uh, some of the economic modeling and reports that they're going out and deliver to Congress because then that's an educational tool to Congress about the economic importance of seafood because seafood is food. And when right. Congress is making important decisions on uh, how much to allocate to the seafood industry for the CARES Act or how much to allocate for um, uh, you know, funding for different agencies, uh, science and data that, that's needed, making sure that seafood's impact and momentum – uh, pre-COVID and during COVID and hopefully post-COVID is properly captured is extremely important. And so we've been lucky enough to partner with uh, some of the nation's largest grocers and 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 working with NOAA to make sure that um, all the data that each side of the industry, whether it's industry or government has, is, is being properly captured and then reported on back to, to Congress. So those are just some, that's just one example but we, a lot, all of us, because we are from the industry and we can kind of connect the dots on some of these needs, um, we're able to try and identify where there might be funding and where that uh, also has strong value in kind of the seafood landscape, whether it's just overall generating seafood consumption or uh, seafood policy, and seeing if we can execute it.
1: So I was exploring your website and you have a number of projects listed on there that you're involved in. And I was wondering if you could kind of walk through some of those specific projects and some of the groups that you're working with and what you're doing to give an example of, of the work that you do a little bit more specifically um, for anyone that might be interested in, in working with you as well.
2: Yeah, sure. So I gave the example of of kind of Trying to track down really wonky uh, economic numbers, but um, to anybody who's a fish nerd like myself and everybody else on the team, it's 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 quite fun. But <laughs> pretty some, much everyone who listens to this y- podcast, yeah, so, good. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> let, let let the nerds unite. Uh, and, and so, um, so that's one example. Uh, some other examples of what we do: uh, working specifically a lot with the North Pacific uh, seafood industry and commercial fishermen. So we were hired four years ago. To is actually my dad's idea, and he, uh, to his credit, rallied his other uh, cod fishermen to start a trade organization. And so a, a bunch of fishermen want to come together and be represented at the North Pacific Council, the Board of Fish in D.C., and you know, they want to put dues forward, but they need uh, leadership in how to organize themselves, you know, create bylaws, and just represent them professionally. And so that's, that's one project that we started uh, four years ago that is ongoing for us, that uh, trade organization is called the Under 60 Cod Harvesters. Not under 60 in age, but under 60 feet, which um, is a, uh-huh. yeah, so 60 feet is a threshold in the fishery management process um, where you're either kind of a big boat or a small boat. So we can, we represent the smaller, smaller boats. Um, some other uh, things that we do are, for example working with some of the biggest diesel engine companies, you know, and, and so one of the that
1: people might not think of when they're thinking about the seafood industry, but this is another aspect of
2: it for sure. Yeah. I mean, what's the biggest investment that a commercial fisherman is going to make besides the permit and the vessel, his or her engine, Yeah, and you know, they could be well over a hundred thousand dollars. And so uh, trying to make those connections between Caterpillar and Cummins and John Deere and Volvo on how they're, business their customers who are fishermen or the trucks that move seafood across the country or the processors that use one of the uh one of their generators for power in their plants uh you know they are tied to the seafood industry and there is an uh a, you know, connectiveness between all these different links within the seafood supply chain. And so one of the kind of cool projects with the diesel engine companies was getting them more involved in how, you know, their customers, commercial fishermen, one, depend on um, diesel engines, you know, for safety and for, uh, you know, for making sure that our our vessels are powered and we can go harvest and an American public resource, but also to educate the diesel engine companies that issues that impact fishermen on the water can impact their customers and might impact how much they're using a diesel engine or whether or not they can afford a new one. And so it's, it's in their best interest to be paying attention to making sure that we keep commercial fishermen fishing um, and having a sustainable resource. Then the diesel engine companies wanted to get commercial fishermen involved on making sure that there was um, some grant programs available to subsidize the cost of having uh, diesel engine replacements and kind of having cleaner diesel engines. And so that was just another way beyond fishery management that we were able to connect those industries, which I think is great. Finding things that really help both industries is going to be Uh, the key to to success. Talking about what you want to talk about isn't always the way to be heard. Listening to what somebody else is wanting to talk about is going to be the way to build that relationship. and
1: trust. Right. It's networking one on one. Right. If you can provide value to someone, they are more likely to provide value to you. But you got to correct. You got to go in that order. You can't come and say, give me, give me, give me. What can you do for me? Um, you know, you got to provide that <laughs> yeah, value. So that's right. And I think it's interesting how you you mentioned. And this is something that uh, information you can find on your website as well, that you do touch like every step of the supply chain. Um, I think we try to from what we talked about earlier is, um, you know, it, it it may have come across as you pretty much just work with like on the water, like with the fishermen. But there's so many different steps in that supply chain that you could be involved in. So what are what are some other uh, pieces of the supply chain that you work with? in some of your other projects?
2: Right, so quite a few. Uh, one of our clients uh, that we work really closely with is Sika Salmon Shares, a direct-to-consumer seafood um, buyer and uh, processor, you know, who, who really blossomed in COVID. Uh, everybody is uh, buying uh, seafood, and be, having it be sent to their their front doors. And so Salmon Shares had a lot of questions about making sure that uh, they, they they kept access and were keeping track of sustainability um, within their kind of positions and making sure that they could keep providing really good quality seafood uh, to their customers through supporting their commercial fishermen and kind of the access that they are dependent upon. Uh, and so that is a really important link in the supply chain. Another great project that we're still helping with today is. Uh, a really fun company called Deckhand Pro. They're an Australian software company and launched a software called Logbook. Uh, that's right.
1: Justin was looking into that. Uh, we're we're talking about possibly getting them on the podcast as well because he, he was looking looking into that. Ah, uh,
2: he's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. they're uh, super innovative and they have a you know a really great uh, piece of software that's offering a solution to electronic trip reporting requirements in the greater Atlantic region that's being required right now. But really, once you start using logbook software, there's so much more. And that's what, they're, that's what they, they, they know that they have is, is a piece of software that can kind of solve this one need. But actually, when you start using it, you can just be tracking all of your maintenance on the boat, You know, hours. You can go through all these different units of measurement that are going to be important to your business and have it be a one-stop shop. And so uh we were really proud to work with logbook and, and seeing their success now as those trip requirements are becoming mandated and so, their, so what their were software you, being used. I
1: don't mean I don't mean to interrupt, but what were you doing with them? Were you taking um the information from uh fisheries regulators and stuff like that about what type of information needs to be logged and presented or and then like communicating that with them or what, what, what was the actual work that you were doing with them?
2: So they, they knew that they had a, uh, logbook knows that, you know, their software, um, logbook is going to help solve this trip reporting kind of requirement, Mm -hmm. but they're an Australian company who are trying to enter the market in the Eastern part of the United States and tap into a customer base that we are experts in. And so we were able to help them create a market entry plan so that they could understand the nuances and differences um, from specific ports and specific states and dive into the data of how many uh, vessels that are gonna be required to uh, to have this trip reporting are based in specific ports, ports and kind of go through, whether it was data analysis or some communication strategies on how to market their product. To you know, a customer base that we are obviously very familiar with. Right. Yeah. Um, but but we are you know to be fair, we are commercial fishermen, um, and uh, we at Ocean Strategy, so we have that fundamental understanding. But I'm not from the East Coast, and I don't. I, I would never pretend to be an expert in understanding all the nuances on the East Coast. But yeah. we are able to uh, reach into our network, which is very broad, and talk to the people who are, you know, who are from Gloucester, who are from Point Judith, you know, who are from Portland and help us, you know, fill in some key pieces of the puzzle so that uh, what we can deliver to, uh, to Logbook is a really informed, nuanced um, entry plan so that they can feel comfortable going to market uh, and getting their product to the right people.
1: Very cool. So pretty awesome stuff. Super helpful. You're a small team of three, um, Small But Mighty. Small But Mighty. Does that mean, are you, so I'm just wondering if, if our listeners would be interested in working with you, are you looking to take on more clients? Are you kind of like at a standstill right now? Like we, you know, we're, we have what we're doing. What's, uh, you know, what's that s- status of that?
2: We've been really fortunate to have a lot of great clients and projects, whether we've uh, sought them out or they've sought us out. Uh, and, and we have these very longstanding relationships. So we're very choosy on the work that we do and the people that we represent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that being said, this is a consulting business. Projects are not infinite. They are finite. And so there's kind of this constant need to have uh, different opportunities in the background. So you know, to your listeners that think that they want to work with a young, forward-thinking uh, group of Commercial fishermen who are subject matter experts in seafood fisheries and marine resources. We are started a lot of work now trying to help Washington State's shellfish industry through the policy and regulatory process. So we do a variety of marine resources and understanding their management. Then we're always ready to talk and listen. And and whether or not it's a project or if we can just help, you know, connect the dot. Whether they need whether it's us or somebody else that can provide that expertise. There's a Collective, obviously, we in seafood and yeah. this us versus them mentality has to go. You know, it's it's tiresome and it's not moving us forward. It's 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 just making us fight inward rather than look externally. Because because of COVID and and all the good work was already happening before, but because of COVID, seafood is having a moment. Let's make that moment be long lasting. Yeah, and capitalize think, on it. Capitalize yeah. on it and and and. You know, th- that rising tide will lift everybody. Uh, and so that's. that's a good pun. You know, yeah. Always well, intend I,
1: your puns. Well done. It's
2: it's 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 all. I think that one has been used before, so I, right. I claim no copyright on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's kind of our mantra, you know. And those are the types of clients that we like to work with. We do a vetting process, and oftentimes with a project, we'll have a nice a, a nice long engagement. You know, you don't want to you don't want to get into a real marriage until you know who you're who you're marrying, and and that's that's good. That's I think that's good business, and that keeps it to where everything is honest and transparent. And, um, if something isn't the right fit, then, then, then you have those, uh, boundaries and mechanisms in place. But, um, yeah, we, we, we are always looking for projects. We are very busy. Um, uh, I can imagine, (laughs) but, but it's been a lot of fun. It's a very niche market that has a lot of growth right now. Um, and we're really excited to be doing the projects that we're familiar with, kind of in the North Pacific and specifically with fisheries, but now really broadening out to be working with some of the nation's largest grocers, restaurants, major foundations, nonprofits, uh, and technology companies.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, is the best place for people to reach out to you, the website? Is that where we should direct people um, if they want to move forward or kind of dissect? Start a dialogue. Yeah, start you... a dialogue. What's the best way for people to do that?
2: Yeah, I, you know, the, the website, I will say we are just about ready to launch a, a new website that has a lot more information, a lot more resources that people can use. Uh, so they can go to the website and, and go into the contact page. That that goes directly to our email. It's not one of those like where you send the contact. and, yeah, and you don't know where uh, it goes. Yeah, it just disappears into the ether. Uh, yeah. But, the, you, you know, for, for folks that just want to email me directly, it's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at OceanStrat dot com.
1: You don't need to spell out his last name.
2: You don't. I left it out purposely because <laughs> oh, yeah. because otherwise <laughs> otherwise um, I wouldn't have been in business. Right. If, if I was relying on my last name to generate business leads, um, I would have had a really I can
1: time. tell you having a tough last name does mess. up. I, I have an apostrophe in my last name, and that is enough to screw up everything in my life.
2: Yeah, you don't even know where you stand,
1: right? Like, did yeah. they,
2: you know, did did they, you know, when they filtered your name, are you in the O's? Or are you down uh, every, at the bottom? Every single with...
1: time I have an appointment for anything or anything, <laughs> I got to spell my name, and then I'm like, if you can't find it, try doing it without the apostrophe. Yes, so <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah, I get that. Um, so shift a little bit, uh, out out away from just ocean strategies, more into uh fisheries and fisheries management in general. Um, we we kind of mentioned this before we started recording, but I'm curious. With you being so um, involved and hands-on in both kind of the, um, you know, the the legal and strategic aspect of all of the different levels of the supply chain, and actually getting your hands wet in commercial fishing, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest uh, issues or challenges facing wild fisheries today, pre pre COVID and post COVID, or if it doesn't matter? It's a great question, and it really
2: depends on kind of what piece of the seafood supply chain, whether it's fisheries management or, you know, through the processing distribution and sales factor that we're talking about. Because on one hand, you know, if you're really hyper local and you're talking to a fisherman on the docks in Alaska, their biggest problem, uh, you know, is keeping the quota, uh, or, and keeping access and costs, you know, into where they're making their bottom line. Their other major issue is finding good crew. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Substance abuse is, is rampant. Um, oh, really? And, yeah, and it's, it it's, it's, it's a sad truth uh, within fisheries. And, uh, and also, it doesn't even have to be substance abuse, but just mental health or finding good quality crew who are ready to kind of work and put a good foot forward and be consistent and reliable is, is tough. It's tough. It's a tough living and the world is changing, you know? And the demands of commercial fishing really haven't changed that much but the demands of the world and the, the way in which the world has kind of evolved has, you know, shifted. And so being mindful of that, too, I think um, the onus is also put on um, the skippers and the owners, too, to just really understand kind of the new world that crew are operating in. But, you know, you talk to a fisherman, it's crew you know, uh, uh, or captain. Um, they'll also talk about, uh, you know, fisheries management issues, climate change, you know, what's happening to shifting stocks, what's happening to feed. You know, what's happening to their ability to harvest fish? Uh, and that's, that answer is going to be very different per region. If you go talk to a snapper grouper fisherman in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, you're going to get uh, you know, very different answers, you know, around allocation battles. You go talk to, you know, a fisherman in New England, they're going to talk about wind farms, you know, and, and, and sighting yeah. and, tra- and traditional fishing grounds haven't we
1: talked a little bit about that on the show a, a, a little bit. something yeah. came up about that I remember i'm we sure had... it might
0: be an episode in itself yeah that's gonna be a mini series
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so all the answer really the answer really um depends and then if you go all the way up and this is kind of the fun thing where what, what you know why we like to do what we do is really be able to you go super granular and really in the weeds, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I've been sitting in on all these local meetings and you know just I mean you are in the thick of just minutia, but that's fun You you can kind of see where your difference is impact, and then you can kind of really you know look out thirty thousand feet on maybe a federal side or with the other players in seafood and so you know a g- grocery store, their biggest issue is going to be supply chain bottlenecks happening right now in ports and with with, with moving freight across the country, um, educating, which is consum- an issue in every industry, right? Totally. Yeah. We're well, not, we're not alone in it at all, yeah. but also how to get customers to eat more seafood. How do they feel comfortable? I mean, yes, we're, we're, we're enjoying some momentum of COVID and we're hoping that seafood's moment is long lasting, but how do you tap into, um, consumer education? Cause changing palates is very expensive, very hard. Um, and so, that, you know, that's going to be an issue. How do you reduce plastics? How do you do reduce styrofoam? You know, so I think each component of the supply chain has a, a, a different issue. The more we can talk to each other and discuss difficult subjects, understand different perspectives, but understand where each other is coming from, helps to build a dialogue and then create some focus on what's going to help us, you know, as a whole. And I think there's a lot of, frankly, I think there's Uh, Some really good movement happening there, especially on the seafood consumption side. Uh, I I know that there's a lot of work by the National Seafood Council and Seafood Nutrition Partnership Mm -hmm. to be trying to uh, have a nationwide marketing program that's really just focused on the health benefits of seafood. And getting people to be eating more of it i think that's just a great example of just boiling down to the most simplistic ways we can be agreeing with each other uh and finding the most value and benefit across the industry
1: yeah i think and and learning to play in the sandbox is still something that is happening right oh it's going to take a while it's going to take a really long time and that's that's something that we like to talk about a lot is Mm -hmm. um breaking out of the vacuum is one thing which is you know the vacuum of the seafood industry where we talk to each other about all of the issues and then we pat each other on the back and celebrate our (laughs) wins and then no one outside of the industry has any idea that any of that's happening so we need to break out of that vacuum but then also the getting rid of the infighting about all the different production um, processes and things and you know learning to play together in the sandboxes is such a big challenge my opinion.
2: Well, so, I mean, to your, di- to your Dyson ex- or to your vacuum example, I- I'm thinking of like a Dyson vacuum, right? And so, uh, you know, the old school vacuums, y- 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 you suck it all up, y- and then you put it into a bag and you throw it away, and it never leaves. <laughs> you know, Dyson, I, you got uh, you know this cleaner where you you, you know you, you remove the bag, and it all just gets dumped into your trash, and, and I think it's it spreads out, and so I f- finding a way that we can get out of our own echo chambers uh and that's it that's also it, yeah. understanding how to communicate that and how to do something different you know how to how to be in this traditional very traditional industry largely uh, and how to think differently yeah. and really uh, put some new ideas out there, so i don't know if I want to say we want to be the dyson of uh of <laughs> seafood that's probably a poor example a
1: little too far into the vacuum <laughs> metaphor, but I <laughs> think I just went too deep i that's uh, right it happens. I, I think it's about second <laughs> cup of coffee time yeah, it sounds right it sounds about right to me so we already talked about kind of how people can get in contact with you uh, if they want to work with you or just speak with you about anything in particular but um is there anything else that you'd like to? kind of put out there while you have the platform?
2: Sure. I I think a great way
1: to be uh, understanding what Ocean
2: Strategies does and who we are and the type of work that uh, we are involved with and produce is to go to the website, www.oceanstrat.com, and also sign up for our newsletter reports. Those are free reports that we put out quarterly that uh, provide policy analysis on major issues that are impacting commercial fishermen and the entire seafood supply chain. And we really put a, 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 a commercial fishing lens on what we're reporting, and really it's a, it involves access. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, it, we're not there to report the news. There's already right. some great entities that do that. We're not reporting the news. We're providing analysis and resources so that people can get up to speed quickly and then have some ways to learn more or contact other experts who are really involved on that issue uh, to, to then find out and get more information. So uh, I think a great way to kind of stay up to date on what we're doing is to sign up for those newsletters. We don't send them very often, but they are widely read. Um, we put a lot of time into them. Uh, and you know, last, this last uh, summer quarter, I, I had an awesome uh, 30-minute interview with Congressman Jared Huffman. Who uh, you know released a Magnuson a draft bill. You know I've talked with some of the biggest uh, seafood uh, distributors, commercial fishing uh, trade executives. So you know, we, we really try and interview also people within those reports uh, who are experts or are really influential in the seafood uh, dialogue. Uh, and so go to the website oceanstrat.com and sign up for the newsletter and, and we'll send you those reports on a quarterly basis.
1: Awesome, and we'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes yeah, as absolutely. well, as well as put your your contact information in there. So appreciate, Justin. That. Do you have anything else?
0: No, I don't. Uh, it was great having you join us, Brett, and and walking us through everything that that you're doing, what the future holds, and uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, and else. we
1: appreciate all the hard work that you guys are doing yeah, for absolutely. for the industry. Um, God knows we all need it. So right. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, it's great. Uh,
2: appreciate it. I, I I'm really glad that there's a a podcast out there as kind of successful as you guys have been. So congratulations there. We'll oh, do what you. we can to uh, promote as well. Uh, and I think again, just another, uh, it's not that podcasts are any new idea and there's quite a few of them popping up, but really tapping into ways in which people want to get intake information and providing that resource. So I think yeah. it's great what you guys are doing, uh, and really applaud your efforts too.
1: Great. What well, again, Brett Veerhuisen from uh, Ocean Strategies. Really appreciate you joining us and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate the time, Sean. Thank you. Take care. Folks, that was our conversation with Brett Veerhuisen from Ocean Strategies. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. If you are interested in working with them, please don't hesitate to get the information for their website and their contact info in the show notes of this show so you can start talking with them about potentially becoming one of their clients or one of their projects. Uh, before we wrap it up, I want to remind everybody, as I always do, to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device as soon as it's available. Yeah, and if you want to
0: reach out to us, you can do so a few ways. You can send us an email, podcast at globalseafood.org or visit globalseafood.org. Click on the Aquademia podcast button at the top of the homepage and embedded in that webpage is a contact us form
1: we are also on twitter at aquademia pod make sure to check us out and give us a follow and if you haven't yet please just take the two minutes to leave a rating and review we have a lot of listeners we have listeners all over the world lots of listeners we get thousands of downloads and uh we don't have nearly that many ratings and reviews so if you do have an extra two minutes and you like the show and you want to support us a little bit it's free it just takes a couple minutes just go on to your favorite podcast platform Leave a quick written review telling us, uh, you know, what you love about the show, and that will help us immensely. So please remember to do that. And it might be read during one of our episodes. Yeah. Unless, man. of course, it's negative and it won't be. Yeah, maybe. We, yeah. <laughs> we only read things that inflate our egos. Yes. So with that, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.